Hey, family. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We work incredibly hard to identify guests who will help you move forward on your healing journey. So if you are blessed by today's episode, I would love for you to take a moment to subscribe and leave a five-star review. This will help us to reach more people and get this important message of healing out to the world. Thank you in advance for your support and enjoy today's episode. Hey family, it's your sister Jocelyn here and welcome to another episode of Faith on the Journey. If this is your first time tuning in, we welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. And we want you to know that we're a company that's committed to helping you strengthen your faith, heal your heart, and discover a sense of community. And we do so through a variety of ways. First of all, we have a team of Christian counselors who are eager to walk alongside of you on your healing journey. We also offer trauma healing groups that are really Bible studies that help you to heal from trauma. You can learn about these resources and so much more by visiting us on our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. But today, I'm excited to have a conversation with this amazing woman of God. She's an author. She is a mother and wife and daughter of the Most High King, working every day to help other caregivers and family members affected by mental illness navigate the complexities of loving someone who is difficult to love. And so very excited to welcome you to the show, Rebecca. Thank you for accepting the invitation. Thank you, Jocelyn, for having me. I am so honored and such a big fan of your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And you have such an amazing testimony. So let's actually start from the beginning. If you can kind of tell us about your life growing up as a child. Yeah. So I grew up with a single mom with mental illness and it wasn't always easy as you can imagine, but I think that a lot of our our deepest challenges bring on the biggest blessings in life. And so, um, you know, I experienced the deepest pain. I experienced uh, poverty, abuse, loneliness, um, uh, really terrible things that um, I'm happy to say that through God and my Redeemer, I am free from those, um, uh, those uh, I guess I want to say strongholds. And so if you're listening to this and off the bat, you're like, oh yeah, I've been through that. I've had uh, abuse in my life. I've had um, mental illness even in my own life. Because uh, one of the things about mental illness is that, you know, we're all a little bit mentally ill. Um, my mom used to have this cute little thing on her TV that was like uh, almonds and peanuts and different kinds of nuts. And then it said, we're all a little nuts. <laughs> and that's kind of true. And so um, having the experience of loving a parent with schizophrenia, she was, uh, and it wasn't just a little bit of, you know, depression or a little bit of mental illness. It was full-blown brain disease that uh, was uh, a full-blown disability. Since I was raised in that atmosphere, I learned um, that I wasn't in control and that somebody else was. And that journey was about a 15-year journey. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I don't have it all figured out, that's okay because I don't have it all figured out either. Yeah, none of us really do as much as we try. Right. And you were pretty young when you found out that your mother had a mental illness, correct? I was. I was in the first grade. I got off the school bus and um, my mom was having a conversation with her radio and she believed that the radio was magic. And she kept saying, magic 104, magic 104. 
Um, and she was almost like in a trance. And of course, there were signs leading up to this moment. Uh, you know, I talk about it on my podcast, Cheering Past Challenges, where I talk about the signs of psychosis that's coming. Um, you know, the house becomes a mess. Thoughts are disoriented. Uh, they become uh, less involved in life and friends and things that they loved. So I knew things were going downhill because my mom had thrown away all my textbooks. And I had to tell my teacher that I didn't have my homework because my mom threw it away. And um, so I knew like something was brewing. But the day that I came home, I, I just remember that, that she was just, uh, she, she was in another world and I wasn't a part of her world anymore. And being an only child, that meant not having a meal that night. That meant, um, you know, having to go to school the next day. And I probably told somebody because it wasn't long that I was removed from my mom's care. And then that began a journey of being a caregiver. I, I think that's the day that I really truly became a caregiver. And um, I tried making my mom coffee that night. I had a little percol percolator. I don't know if you've seen like an old fashioned percolator. Um, I tried making her coffee and getting her to sit down and eat. And uh, I could not get her away from the radio. So I ended up just eating some chips or whatever I ate. And, um, and that really was a pivotal moment for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to have you clarify pieces of your story because you said you became a caregiver, but you were removed from the home. So can you just mm -hmm. kind of talk about the timeline of that? Yeah. So you actually can be a caregiver, even if you don't live with somebody. And I want to make that a point because I was my mom's legal guardian for 18 years. That meant that I was, I basically was uh, like a parent to her, but I didn't actually have her in my home. And I felt a lot of guilt about that. And so if anybody is listening to this and you have, say you have an adult child with a disability that lives in a facility, or you have a parent with dementia that lives in a nursing home and you are their uh, power of attorney, or you are just taking care of them, that is still a caregiver or a caretaker. Um, and so I kind of uh, didn't know that right off the bat. I figured this out later on. Like I said, this was a journey of, okay, uh, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about my mom. I'm praying about my mom. I don't know what's happening. Um, my mom had a strong faith, so I had that to begin with. But um, I guess what happened, she went in the hospital for two years. So I was uh, moved around from her parents to my other grandparents and ultimately lived with my dad. And then my mom had uh, weekend visits with me, but that required um, lots of caregiving. I would have to clean out her refrigerator, help her with her clothing. Um, she struggled with just getting lost inside her apartment, if you can believe that. Um, real mental illness is, uh, it's debilitating. And uh, she actually kept a journal and uh, in her own language, uh, talked about what it, it feels like to have schizophrenia. And when you read it, it's horrifying. Um, so just, you know, everyday basic functions that we take for granted, like going for a walk or getting a shower in or planning a meal. I mean, she really struggled with that. And so I kind of, uh, as I grew into middle school and high school, uh, stepped into the role of, oh, there's, you know, broccoli that's gone bad in the freezer or refrigerator. Let's get that out. Um, you know, to all the way as extreme as I would get a call from the landlord, 
your mom has been naked in the hallway. Um, you're going to have to call somebody. And me being 15, 16 years old and saying, who do I call? I guess I'll call her social worker. I don't know. Um, and that would that would bring the police and four men trying to get my mom out from underneath the bed. So that was very traumatic. I would say about 16 was when my mom, uh, right before she went through menopause, her mental illness stopped being stable. But uh, I would say from about, you know, 45 to 55, she was pretty stable. She was on meds and really doing everything she could to live a good life. Um, but once it became more difficult, that's where I stepped in. That's a lot. That's a lot mm -hmm. for a grown adult, let alone like a teenager who's watching their yeah. parents go through this. And so my question is, what was happening with you emotionally? Like at any point, at least looking back now as an adult, did you find yourself kind of grieving, um, not having a quote unquote normal childhood or having other emotions around the fact that you were in this caretaking role? I'll tell you right now, I didn't know what was happening. I'll be really honest. Uh, when you're in it, I say it's like a maze. When you're in it, you don't know which way you're going. So you're just on for a ride. I mean, I had experienced anxiety at, as a young, at a young age. So I had panic attacks, um, headaches, body aches. I was always sick as a child. Um, up until I went to college, I actually had daily migraines. So I experienced that. And a lot of kids that experience trauma, that's pretty normal. Um, but what I would say is I had no self-reflection at all, except that I wanted everybody to think I was perfect. So here comes perfectionism coming right in. By the way, I'm still dealing with perfectionism. I've got her like in the back, but she's still here, you know? Um, so I, I would make sure that, you know, my shoes were clean and that I, I was a good student and I was an A student. And um, I really carried the heavy guilt and burden of trying to convince everybody that I wasn't damaged goods because I believed the lie that, um, that I was damaged goods. Mm, yeah. That's a terrible lie that many people who mm -hmm. might've experienced other challenges in life have struggled with. So what helped you to change that narrative? Well, the help didn't come first. It got worse before it got better. And what got worse was, uh, so now I'm in college and I get like a letter to go to this hearing for my mom and my mom's health was declining. Um, and so I went to the hearing and I became her legal guardian. I didn't know that was going to happen. Didn't really know what that meant. I was like, okay, I'm 20, 21, you know? Um, and so I did everything wrong as an early caregiver. I mean, I made all the classic errors. I had to move my mom into assisted living. And so I sent her to be with my 92 year old grandma, her mother. I said, can you take care of her for seven days so I can move her without her knowing? <laughs> Guess how well that went down? Not very well. Um, so I made a lot of early young, you know, just like how a, you would think a 20 year old would make and not to put down 20 year olds. There's lots of really brilliant 20 year olds, but I think it's just when you're new, when you're new in caregiving, you're kind of winging it. And I didn't have, I didn't have family around me that said, Hey, you know, maybe you should try this or try that. Um, I did take her to the facility and it did go well because she was she was so deteriorated by that point that she was happy to hear that she didn't have to do her laundry and dishes anymore. So that worked out. But there was a lot of scary moments, like her teeth were all rotting 
And so here's the, I talk about this in my book. I had to pull all her teeth out in a day and give her dentures without her knowing. I'm sure it's illegal, but you know, because of mental illness, she wasn't going to get her teeth cleaned. And um, the medications sometimes really play havoc with your teeth. Um, and that's something we need more funding for. Uh, you know, your teeth are an important part of your body. So I had to make terrible, awful decisions that um, I kind of paid the price for. My mom didn't talk to me for three months after that, and she had every right to do that. And then um, up until the day she died, which was she just passed away this last September, uh, she she uh, said she wanted to get her teeth permanently implanted. So that's always kind of got me in the heart like, man, you know, when I'm old and my kids put me in a home and don't tell me, I've got it coming. <laughs> oh, no. But, you know, as you mentioned, caregiving is messy. The the rule book of how to do it, it it's, it's, it's so challenging because there's nuances in every household. And obviously you were trying to do your best and there was a lot of pressure on you at a young age. And mm -hmm. so I'm curious as to how your faith played a role in helping you navigate this, this difficult challenge. Well, you know what? God is so good. So I'm going to say to you that because I think I had angels around me without me even knowing it. And my biggest angel is my husband. So I met my husband who had a faith when I was a senior in college. And um, I, I just welcomed back my faith. When I was in college, I was into new age stuff and psychics and um, even just like all the lies they tell you when you go to a university, just all of the things of the world. I was definitely living that life. And so when I met my husband and I met his parents at church, that was how I met his parents. It was like, oh, it was like coming back home. So that was really the first change in my life. And um, later on, I found out that my mom used to go to mass and pray that I would marry a religious, nice Christian boy. So I do believe in the power of prayer. And so then that journey has led me to, um, uh, well, we've had different, different faiths. We've been Catholic Lutheran and now we're free. And I actually got baptized, um, about, about three years ago. And so God is so good. My faith is continuously renewing. And every time, I think for me, it was really important that I just made that bold declaration that Lord, you are the savior of my life. That even though I experienced the worst of worse abuse and pain in my life, and, and I, you know, I don't talk about all the abuse because who wants to talk about that? But I mean, I'm talking sexual abuse. I'm talking um, abandonment. I'm talking fear. I'm talking anxiety, all these things. And um, I'm a living testament that God can heal all of those things with time and with patience. And so that's really why I decided to write my book, because uh, it wasn't like one day God just said, Rebecca, do this and your life's going to be perfect. No, it was like years of figuring this out. And I just started journaling. Um, so if you're listening to this and you, you think you might want to write a book or you want to um, help somebody pay it forward, just get on Evernote or get on your iPhone and just start typing away. Um, you can even talk to your phone. And just when you get these ideas or when God gives you these winks, just go ahead and do it. And that's what I did. I just had all these journal writings that really I compiled into one book. 
And um, it's not a perfect book. I, it's a little bit messy too, because it's a little bit memoir, you know, my stories. And then it also is a little bit of a workbook where it asks you questions about your life and about caregiving and what has been hard for you. And and mostly Satan's lies, because let's be honest, Satan is a deceptor and he's good at it. Yes, Satan is. That's the, He's the, the father of lies. And so I'm glad that you yes. had tools in there to help combat that. But taking a step back, I uh, have my copy of the book here as well. <laughs> I'm just curious as to the name Unbinding Love. Mm -hmm. How did you come up with that title? Well, it's funny because I had read a book called Unbinding the Gospel and like 10 years before. And that title intrigued me too. I was like, unbinding, what does that mean? And I really love that book because it opened my eyes to God's love and how we have to kind of fight for it, right? I mean, God's love is always there, but it's the human ability to see that love and to really know it because it's just so perfect that human beings can't really conceptualize that, right? And so unbinding love for a caregiver is the love that doesn't come easy. It's, you know, I've got to unravel this thing. I've got to figure it out. I've got to fight for this love. And that's why I say, um, for me, I like helping other caregivers uh, get to a point where they can love their loved ones with mental illness or love their loved ones that are difficult to love because you've got to be creative. You've got to come up with new things. You've got to give yourself, for example, boundaries, grace. You have to surrender. You have to say, Lord God, you have, you have total control. And I mean, let me ask you this. When was the last time you told God, I'm going to let you take control of my day? That's the hardest thing that a person can do. I could tell you that. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. And I, I love how you talk about loving individuals who are hard to love because that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Sometimes yeah. you just don't feel like it. Sometimes they on your last nerve. Sometimes you want to <laughs> run away, you it's know, and, and it's that's yeah. what love is. It's a choice. It is. It is. If you're a parent, you understand that all the way down from toddler twos to teenagers. You're like, you know, you're difficult to love, but I'm going to love you anyway, you know? And the thing of it is, is when our buckets are full, I know you've heard this, but when your bucket is full, you're able to love on others that are unlovable, right? And what I found with my mom is it would be the craziest thing. Like one day I would be like, yes, I will take you to get a blood draw and I will get you that shake and I will do everything. And then the next day I was like, listen, you're not really going to marry Toby Keith. You're in an assisted living and I don't want to help you right now, <laughs> you know, because you kind of, you know, depending on how well fed you are. Uh, that determines what kind of caregiver you are. That's the truth. And so it, it sounds like one of the main points you're making is that you have to make sure that you are continually feeding yourself so you're not on empty as a caregiver, which is hard. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's ongoing. And I think it's important that we all take a step back and assess. Um, so when I do like talks, for example, and sometimes I'll talk I, I do a lot of talks with women that are at, a, at an older age and they have like dementia care. So that relates to, cause it's the same thing, right? Like you might be listening to this and you might be taking care of someone with alcoholism or addiction, or, you know, there's, there's so many different things, but I always like to start off by, by giving like a scale, like, you know, zero to 10, or even just four categories. And where are you today? Are you sleeping? Well, are you getting outside? Are you feeling joy in your day? 
or is it the other way? Are you feeling tension? Are you getting migraines? Are you not sleeping at night? And it's really important that we take a step back because when God created us, he created us to have joy and it's biblical. He doesn't want us to live in the chaos that we experience. And so that's really where I got to the healing point where I was like, okay, how can I take my experience that I had with my mom and then make it tangible, make it like into 10 steps, which actually sounds like a lot. And for you, if you're listening to this and you know, you're kind of in the more broken category, start with number one, which is just handing over that control, just handing it over to the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what what I'm doing. I'm doing everything wrong, but I'm going to hand it over to you and I'm going to read your word. And um, with that, I do want to read a little prayer that I wrote because I actually, you know how you haven't like, so I wrote this a couple years ago and I don't read my book very often, but I picked it up today before our talk and I opened up to a prayer and I read it and I was like, wow, that is good. And this is, this goes along with what I'm talking about. It says, dear Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me in the perfect way. I know even when you came to earth as human, you must have felt incredible fear. I can't imagine the fear you felt on the cross. The day they beat you and tried to humiliate you, they failed. And today you are the lion, the king, the redeemer. Lord, please take that fire you have and heal me and my heart from any fear or anxiety. Lord, just take any moment of doubt I have, any disturbing thoughts about myself of doubt. I have any disturbing thoughts about myself or my health or my life, Lord, just throw them into the fire. Fill me with your love, your faith, your trust. Help me to see my worth through your eyes, Lord Jesus. I can only find true love like that from you, my savior. Thank you, Lord, in your name, I pray. That's beautiful. That's a really beautiful prayer. And is this a prayer that you wrote like as you were writing your book or this is something that was a part of your journal? No, this was later when I was writing it. So all the prayers were written during during the pre-publishing part. And it started with um, getting up at 5 a.m., praying in his word, and then just saying, Lord, what do I need to say today? What is on your heart that I need to share with my readers? Mm, yeah, that's good. And I, I think there's power in the written prayer, too. When we're able to write and journal, I think journaling is also a huge tool in the healing process. And so I'm, I'm glad that you you shared that with us. And it is a beautiful prayer. And I'm curious, can you go into a little bit more detail about your 10 steps? We might not be able to get to all of them today, mm -hmm. but are there a couple that you would like to highlight with our listeners? Okay. So yeah, definitely. Um, the number one step is let go of the guilt. Let go of the guilt. So you know, everybody knows what mommy guilt is, um, but with caregivers, it's kind of at a higher level. And so I'll tell you a statistic. It's really sad, but 31% um, of caregivers that are unpaid consider suicide. And um, when I read that, I was like, wow, that's really high. But I, I, the reason why I looked it up is because I witnessed it. So I'm on a website for, um, uh, it, for schizophrenia, it's an online website that not only people that have schizophrenia, but family members of people that have it, you, you can kind of share on the forum, just tips or just encouragement. 
And one of the caregivers had said, I, I'm suicidal, I need help. And a bunch of people went on there and was like, call this number, it's okay. But like the first time that I saw that, I literally like, it did something internally to me because this was years and years ago. This probably happened five, eight, 10 years ago. I don't know. Um, and, but that was way before I even thought about writing a book. But when I, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, I get that. I get that because my whole life I've had to be this perfectionist. Again, I have to show everybody that I can take care of my mom now, even though I have little kids at home. Yeah, I can take her to her doctor's appointments and, you know, for, don't worry about all the phone calls I get and forget about the paperwork. I mean, I got that down, you know, I'll just like get it signed a year later because everything comes late. And, you know, um, there's all these things like making decisions about meds and then going with her to her appointments. And then, and then like, not only that, but just having the contact every day. And I would visit my mom three, four days a week. So again, like I said, you don't have to have them in your home to be a caregiver, but, but the weight of even just the, um, I guess just the burden of, I've got to go today just to make sure her underwear is clean and make sure like they're doing what I asked them to do, you know, and her nursing home was great. It was a behavioral health, you know, unit, and it was a skilled nursing care facility, but guess what? They still need you. Um, and if you're listening to this and you're a guardian or a power of attorney, or you're just a child of like an adult that has Alzheimer's or something like that, your role is crucial. It's crucial. If you think you can just take a nap, you know, that's not the case. And so my heart goes out to um, caregivers. And the statistic is majority of them are women over the age of 45. And um, when I look at that demographic, I see that that could be really heavy. You've got your own kids and then you've got an aging parent population. And, you know, what about your needs? What about self-care? What about, you know, so, so of course, part of my 10 steps is self-care and figuring out what you need and guess how you figure it out um, with this big book called the Bible. So I get up every morning and I open up my Bible and, and I just like go to his word. And then I just say, Lord Jesus, what do I need? Help me, you know? And so I go through that. I go through um, something called prayer of petition, which is when you're really, really down, when you're really in the depths of despair, you have to make a petition to the Lord. And so I talk about that. Um, a way to find my 10 steps for free is you can go to my website. Uh, it's cheeringpastchallenges.com. And it'll say 10 steps like on the top and just click on that. All you have to do is give your email and it's completely free and it's videos. So I took a lot of time kind of demonstrating with videos. I show um, like basic things, like some people don't know how to look up a concordance and look up uh, fear or doubt or, you know, how to find scripture related to what you're experiencing. What does God say about shame? Do you know? Look in your Bible, read it. Um, and if you don't know where to start, I would say start with the book of Psalms because that is the most beautiful book for healing, especially if you're overcoming childhood trauma or any type of abuse. Uh, or any type of downfall, really, uh, it's Book of Psalms for me. Yeah, that's a great book. I love mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And you gave such rich advice uh, to those who are listening today. But I want you to speak to the person who's who's watching right now or listening, who's really in that place that you describe of despair. 
who mm-hmm. might have thought about suicide and just happened to come across this broadcast today, what would you say to encourage them, especially when they're in a role where they're overwhelmed as a caretaker? I would tell them you are not a lost cause. So my mom felt that she said that she wrote that in her journal. Um, she really felt she was a lost cause and um, it's the dirtiest rotten lie that Satan tells us. And when we get to that moment of despair, that's really what we're thinking. We're thinking, who's going to love me? I'm completely a lost cause. So that's where I would start. I would say, you are not a lost cause. And then I would open up the book of Psalm, Psalms and I would say, okay, let's read Psalm 30. Oh Lord, I cried out to you and you healed me. You healed me. Um, you know, a prayer petition would be, Lord, you said in Psalm 31 that you are my rock and my fortress. But Lord, right now, I don't feel that you're a rock. I need, I need more. I need you to show up. Um, so you go to the Bible, you, you write it out like in a notebook and just say, Lord, I am struggling and I need you right now. And um, that's what I would say to someone that's really in despair because at this point, it's, you know, anybody can tell you you're, you're loved, you're great, you're not a lost cause. But until you actually experience the pure love of the living God, you're not going to really get it. So it's a journey. It truly is a journey. And you know, that's one of my favorite words. Yes, <laughs> but, yes it is. But yes, I, I appreciate you just sharing your testimony with us today, words of encouragement, being so transparent about the struggles of caregiving. And I encourage anyone who's watching today to pick up your copy of her book, Unbinding Love. Thank it will you. encourage you as you are on this caretaking journey. You can pick that up again at cheeringpastchallenges.com. But thank you again for being on the show with us. I've totally enjoyed this conversation. I love this so much. And I do want to say one more thing, because there was something I wanted to share and it's a personal story. And I like to end with something personal because maybe I'll relate to somebody. Um, I have a fear of flying and I don't know when it started. I think I didn't fly until I was in high school, like getting on an airplane. Um, And I knew it was something about control. I knew that, but, um, of course, what, ha- what happened in my life was I just thought, well, I just won't fly an airplane, but then you know what happens when you give in to fear, it gets greater. And so my husband and I actually have, um, my in-laws have a place in Arizona. So we fly from Wisconsin, to Arizona, and, um, we do it quite a bit and I would get really bad panic attacks on the plane. And one, one time we went to California and that's a long flight. And, I mean, I was just like, I was in panic and my husband was like, okay, breathe. You know, he's trying everything. So anyway, long story short, we, um, we decided I needed medication for that. And there is nothing wrong with that. So I have a uh, lorazepam that I take when I fly and I fly quite a bit. I probably fly, I don't know, 10 times a year. And when you take that pill, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you take that pill, it makes you like groggy and I'll watch a whole movie. And then like the next day, I won't remember the movie. And I was like, Lord, you've got to break me free from this, this stronghold because I just, I don't know. I just, I, I want to be free from it, Lord. Like I, I know he's in control, but I have to work through some of this. So if you're listening to this and you know, you have anxiety and you know, you haven't worked through it. I'm, I want to boldly say, find a therapist or somebody that can help you work through 
the trauma. And I know Jocelyn has a lot of uh, individuals that she can find for you. But I think that, and what has opened my eyes about this is I recently had the opportunity to sit down with a therapist and talk about some of these early childhood memories of feeling panic, like I felt on a plane, right? It's the same feeling of I'm stuck. I can't get out of this. I'm, oh my gosh, I can't go back. I'm going to, I'm going to just lose my mind right now. You know, just that feeling of vulnerability. And then going back to when I felt like that as a child, which for me was the first visit I had with my mom when she was in the psych ward and she got a pass for the weekend. And so she came to my grandparents' house and we had a visit and it didn't go well. And I was seven years old and I, I didn't like her. She wasn't the mom I remembered. And I was probably a brat and had a fit, but I remember feeling also shame. Why, why don't I love my mom? Like I used to love her or why, you know, I shouldn't be that way. She's here for a pass. I should be happy that she's here, but she was psychotic. And so that, that was a very heavy memory for me. And I'm happy to say because of the, the work of a friend, that's a therapist she, she asked me, she said, where was God when you were having that visit? And I said, he was right next to me. He was right there weeping with me. Uh, he was grieving with me. And, and then she just said, can you hand over that grief to Jesus? And I said, yeah, I think I can. And in that moment, I was like, I, I think I can go on a plane. I think if I keep working through this, I think I can get on a plane and be sober. So I'm asking for prayer because I get on a flight tomorrow at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time and I'm not taking my meds. So I, I haven't broken free from it. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm asking for prayer. Okay, there we go. Standing <laughs> in agreement with you right now. God got you. And it's so important what you said. I'm glad you shared this story because sometimes we need help connecting the dots mm -hmm. and then seeing that God was there with you all the way through, even through our challenges. He helped keep us in those moments. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Blessings to you on your travels tomorrow. You'll have to, you know, check in and let me know how that goes. <laughs> and you know what? I have, I told my older daughters, they're 15 and 13. And I said, mom's not going to take her meds. Okay. And they're so used to me like sleeping, you know, and they're like, good mom. Yeah. And I go, I might get anxious. I might get jittery. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then they're like, it's okay. And it was just like the perfect vulnerability moment. Like I don't have to be the perfect mom that says the perfect things. I might do something goofy, but it's okay. It's like, that's how God loves me. He wants me to step out of that fear. And so I'm going to try it, but I'm not going to lie. I am a little bit afraid. <laughs> okay. You know, it's, it's not a sin to be afraid sometimes, but it's, it's trusting God in it, that he's walking with you, mm -hmm. you know? And so uh, standing with you, you, you check back in, let us know how that went for you. Thank but you. thank you that again for good. being a guest. I appreciate you and your testimony and continue to do this important work in supporting caregivers because it's needed. Thank you. God bless you. God bless Rebecca. And thank you all for tuning in today to this broadcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And if this is your first time tuning in, don't let it be the last. Please subscribe and follow us on our social media. You can find all the information about how to follow us by visiting our website at faithonthejourney.org. Again, that is faithonthejourney.org. Please tune in next week, same time, same place. But until next time, you keep your faith on the journey. I'll see you soon.